Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. I purposely sang that again twice. Yes. So that we might impress upon our hearts and our minds more deeply the subject of which we're looking at this morning. One which, even after being saved 40 years, still amazes me and greatly humbles me and yet greatly encourages me. When I sing hymns like that, two things cross my mind. The first is the great privilege and blessing we as God's children have to approach God in our time of need. If we just but knew the depth and reality of prayer and all God has sovereignly ordained to give us through such divine grace as prayer. And on the other side, I think of those who know not God. For who do they turn to? When their hearts are heavy, when they're facing trials and afflictions of this life, when they have trouble and sorrow, they have no one to turn to except man. And man is just not sufficient to understand the sorrows and burdens of the heart. Try as we may, even as God's children, and we should bear one another burdens, no one, no one can grasp the sorrow and burdens of our hearts more than Christ. No one can comfort our hearts in times of trouble more than Christ. And it is through prayer that God has sovereignly ordained that we should receive such divine blessings. If we truly understood the power and blessings which come from prayer, I believe churches would have more prayer meetings and they would spend their time together as Christians more in prayer. And most certainly our closets would not be empty or vacated or rarely or occasionally visited, but our closets would be visited regularly and daily as we ask and beseech God in secret those things which fill our hearts and our minds. Luke chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. And it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. And he said unto them, when ye pray, say, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done as in heaven, so on earth. That's the vital part of prayer. I'll not go into it in depth at the moment, but he 
immediately ushers us into the presence of the Father in heaven that we might rise all our affections and troubles and trials above the things of earth and set them in heaven. Give us day by day our daily bread and forgive us our sins for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Truly, beloved, this is a most amazing and remarkable passage of Scripture, especially in the shadow of the previous verses where Mary had chosen that one thing needful, if you're familiar with that text. That good part, the Lord said, which should not be taken away from her as she sat at Jesus' feet and heard His Word while Martha was serving and cumbered about many things. Mary chose that one thing that was needful to sit at the feet of Christ and hear His Word. And now, having heard Christ pray, when He ceased, His disciples besought Him to teach them to pray, as John also taught His disciples. Beloved, what two things are more needful for the true believer than to sit at the feet of Christ as He teaches us His Word and to learn to pray unto our Father which art in heaven. Two remarkable events. Side by side. Reminding us, dearly beloved, and I wish I had time to go deeper into these two, but reminding us the importance of not being cumbered about and worried about so many things, but take time to sit at the feet of Christ and listen to Him as He teaches us His Word. And as we do that, to get along with God in prayer and pray our Father, which art in heaven. Those two divine blessings, dearly beloved, is what enriches the Christian's life and gives us all the comfort and strength we need in this present world. Teach us to pray. Beloved, this was not a selfish or sinful desire like that of the hypocrites who loved to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets that they may be seen of men. Matthew 6, our Lord condemned such hypocrites. This was not a selfish or sinful desire. For Christ would never indulge or gratify such sinful desires. And His replying to the disciples' request is the divine evidence that our Lord honored their request. That it was not sinful nor prideful, but it was a humble desire to learn to pray. To pray. Therefore, let us beware, beloved, for there is no greater sin of hypocrisy than when our prayers are motivated by our own selfishness and sinful desires to be seen and applauded by men or to heap upon our own lust things we desire. 
There's no greater sin of hypocrisy than we pray than when we pray like hypocrites. To merely be seen of men, to be applauded by men, to heap things upon our lust. And beloved, such humility in our corporate public prayers must be cultivated. Listen to me. Must be cultivated in our closets where we shut our doors and pray to our Father which is in secret. For then our Lord replied in Matthew 6, Then our Father which seeth in secret shall reward us openly. You know how we cease from falling to the sin of hypocrisy in public prayer? Is by visiting often that secret place, that closet, and praying to our Heavenly Father when He sees in secrets, He reward us openly. Beloved, there's not one of us here this morning that is not sometimes, when that often, provoked to hypocrisy when we pray publicly. That's why I admire our brethren who so often when we have our prayer meetings on Saturday pray that God would keep us from ourselves and our own flesh. Let us not be hypocrites in praying. So may God give us grace that when we meet publicly to pray that we do so that we might honor and glorify God and not for selfish, sinful desires of our own but to glorify God yet before we humbly attempt to embark on the great and awesome task of examining more closely our Lord's own personal instructions on how or in what manner we should pray and it is awe inspiring this is the Son of God this is our high priest who personally instructs us how to pray. In many ways, these words of Christ, I believe, are more hallowed than John chapter 17. For the disciples is asking the very Son of God to teach them to pray. And who else besides the very Son of God, our own high priest, knows better how to pray to the Father. But before we be embark upon that, I want to look at a few things that I believe are very fundamental and important concerning this disciple's request. Look at verse 1. And it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place. I won't stay long there, but I do want to make a mark here. <clears throat> this implies that Christ had a certain place to always pray. Some believe it was Mount of Olives, but Christ always had a certain place that He chose to pray. We too should have a place that we can sanctify for prayer. Oh, we can pray anywhere, but we ought to have a place that we can sanctify as a place where we can go to pray. He was praying in a certain place. When he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. 
One of the amazing things about this first verse and this request is of all the things and wonders that they had witnessed as they walked with Christ, it was that He would teach them how to pray which they desired most. For me, that's an amazing thing considering these disciples are flesh and blood like we are. Not that they might preach like Him. I, as a preacher, I would think, oh, I would love to preach like Christ. Can you imagine sitting under His preaching on the Sermon of the Mount? We have it recorded in God's Word, but can you imagine the words flowing from the lips of our Savior on the Sermon on the Mount? Can you imagine the Spirit that took place as He stood on that mount and preached the Sermon on the Mount? Oh, that I might preach like Christ. It wasn't the miracles and wonders He did. And He did a lot of miracles and wonders. Healing the sick. The blind were made to see. Oh, that Lord, I might have that power to be able to heal people that are ailing. And I mean that in a good way. Not just simply to have the power, but be able to help those who are in need. Oh, that we could just touch our loved ones and they could be healed of their problems. No cancer, no sickness. Oh, Lord, that we might learn to have those same powers. You would think that man would desire such things as that. Even to the raising of the dead. Who would not like to see when one of their loved ones died to be able to raise them back from the dead? To hold them but once more. To feel their loving embrace. To look upon their face. And I mean all these things in a good way, not in a selfish way. But you would think that they would desire such things as that. And yet when they heard Him pray, when they heard him converse with his father in heaven when he heard them when he heard him pray to his father in heaven they were moved that Christ would teach them to pray it's amazing about this request as well there's no striving amongst themselves who should be accounted the greatest in this divine exercise do you remember how they constantly strove amongst one another who was the greatest amongst them? Yet not here. But a mutual and humble acknowledgement of their great and undeniable need to be taught how to pray. None stands up and says, Oh, I can pray better than you. There's a mutual agreement amongst the disciples a humble acknowledgement that we need to be taught to pray. Had they heard Him pray? Or was He praying in silence? The disciples' request leads us to believe that they heard Him pray. For why else would they be inspired to ask Him to teach them? If our Lord was in silent prayer, just speaking to the Father without verbally saying anything, the disciples would see the body language 
And they were accustomed to prayers. I mean, they knew the prayers of the Pharisees and they knew they were all wrong, but surely they had heard Him pray. When He ceased. So they knew when He stopped. The Son of the living God had just ceased conversing in prayer with the Heavenly Father. What an amazing and overwhelming conversation that must have been. He who had no need of the Spirit's help to pray, for he had no infirmities, yet he prayed to the Father in the fullness of the Spirit. What must that prayer have been like? How marvelous and how amazing that holy prayer must have heard. He whom sinful man declared never spake, never man spake like this man to men. How then can we imagine if we can the heavenly language and conversing between the Father and the Son by the Spirit of God? That must have been an amazing moment. For the disciples. For what did he pray? Every word in perfect accordance to the Father's divine and sovereign will. We can't pray like that. We pray, if it be thy will. But every word in perfect accordance to the Father's divine and sovereign will. Every petition in agreement with the Father's divine providence and perfect. Every word He said was pleasing to the Father. We feel our infirmities when we pray. We're, we're humbled by our, our selfishness and our sinfulness and, and our infirmities and we're weak and beggarly. But oh, how Christ must have prayed to the Father. What must that have been like to hear the Son of God converse with the Heavenly Father in the power of the Holy Spirit. Is it any wonder the disciples that teach us to pray? No insecurities, no uncertainties due to any such infirmities and weaknesses, but every word in perfect harmony with the Father's divine will. What must that have been for a prayer? which leads us to the disciples' request itself in verse 1. Teach us to pray. Now that is amazing, especially when you understand a little bit about Judaism, that the Jews prided themselves in how they prayed. If you look at Matthew, where the Lord talks about the hypocrites, they you know, they repeat things and they stand on the street corners. They prided themselves in how they prayed. And here they're humbled by hearing the Lord pray and realizing their utter inability to pray as they ought. They beseech the Lord to teach us to pray. Job defined best in Job 37.19 when he said, Teach us what we shall say unto him. For we cannot order our speech by reason of darkness. 
teach us what we shall say unto him. Unto who? Unto God. For we cannot order our speech by reason of darkness. Think about it for a minute. I don't care how long you've been saved. Think about it for a minute. Prayer ushers us into the presence of the Almighty God. And we speak a language of the Almighty that we know nothing of. In our vague, fumbling words, we attempt to approach the living God. What an amazing blessing. What a very humbling thought that God would allow us our own into His presence, but to bring our petitions before Him. Oh, how mighty a salvation has Christ wrought for His children! Not only to be reconciled again unto God and sins forgiven, but to have such an intimate relationship with the Almighty God that we can approach Him with words of finite men and wisdom in hopes that He will hear our prayers. He even bids us in His Word to approach Him to pray. I'm getting ahead of myself, but beloved, if we have such an access unto the Father, why then do we find ourselves so often cast down and distraught when we can enter into the very presence of God? I think this is what David struggled with and he corrected himself. He chastened himself. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? You're being foolish. I shall yet see God. This is what prayer brings the child of God. There is a divine element of true humility and an unfeigned sense of utter unworthiness in all true prayer. We approach God not in our own pride and boldness, as we'll see in a few minutes, but beloved, there is an the element of true humility and unfeigned sense of utter unworthiness in all true prayer. We're approaching God. It is because of our infirmities that the Spirit helps us. It's because of our infirmities, our inability, our, our enableness to approach God because of our infirmities that the Spirit helps us. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought. Our infirmities do not hinder us from approaching God through Christ. I remember reading somewhere one time of an old man of God, I believe it was Owens, I'm not sure, it might have been someone else who fell deathly ill, almost passed from his illness, but God graciously revived him. And as when a brother came to visit him and they were walking through the garden of the hospital and there was silence, the one who was ill spoke up and said, Brother, do you know what it is to approach God through Jesus Christ in prayer. And the brother began to explain to him what he knew about Scripture. And he stopped him and said, No, 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 brother, I'm asking you, do you know? Do you know what it's like to approach God 
in prayer through Jesus Christ. And he began weeping. Oh, I'm telling you, if we could but know that prayer brings us into such presence of God, brother, there's nothing in this world, nothing in this world that would cause us to be discouraged or despair. That's why I believe the Lord begins, this is how you pray, Our Father which art in heaven, He would immediately usher us into the heavens of heavens. Before you ask for your daily bread, set your hearts and your minds on the things above where God is and realize that nothing in this life, even your most severe and sorest of trials, can separate you from your Father, from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. What more, what more, dearly beloved, do we desire than that? What on earth could ever, what on earth could ever cause us trouble if we... Luke 18, in verse 9. And he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a public. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I'm not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. An element of humility and a genuine, unfeigned sense of our own unworthiness is what accompanies true prayer. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. His prayer was motivated, motivated by self, not for the honor and glory of God, our Father which art in heaven, how will be thy name? You see how Christ began? True prayer is never motivated by self. True prayer. It's never about self. Oh, I know the first thing that we want to do as believers when we're, when we're troubled and everything else, we want to enter into the presence of God and we want to begin telling Him all our heartaches and all our sorrows, all our burdens. But if you follow this language of Scripture, that's not how we're taught to pray. We're taught to pray by beginning with God. Not our problems and afflictions, but beginning with God. You begin with your problems and afflictions and they'll just, before your eyes, begin to grow. When you begin with God, they begin to diminish. All sorrows shall erase. One of the brethren prayed that yesterday. I was rejoicing in that. All sorrows shall erase. What? In the light of His glorious face. Oh, it's the reality of the presence of God that makes all sorrow and afflictions not vanish, but they make some bearable. And 
publican standing afar off would not lift up so much as his eyes into heaven but smote upon his breast saying God be merciful to me a sinner beloved this is indeed the spirit helping our infirmities for herein we find boldness to come before the throne of grace you ever notice the wording in that verse in Hebrews we find boldness to come before the throne of grace not merit that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The boldness of which the apostle speaks is not in and of ourselves, but of Christ, our high priest who is touched with the feeling of our infirmities. His throne is of grace, where the Bible says we receive mercy and grace to help in time of need. We're bold because of his mercy and his grace not of anything of our own we're bold because the verse prior to that said Christ is touched by the feelings of our infirmities you see it's all about Christ you know what makes that access into the Father so pleasant it's Christ that's what our brother meant when he was in sickness to enter into the presence of God through Christ that's the blessedness of it for nothing pleases the Father more than Christ. Why do you think we pray in Jesus' name? Because nothing pleases the Father more than Christ. And to enter into the presence of the Father in the name of Christ pleases the Father. And beloved, in Luke chapter 11, listen closely to me, Luke chapter 11, it is the same high priest who is over the house of God according to Hebrews 10, the same high priest that has entered into the holiest of holies, Hebrews, that same high priest would now teach us to pray. Amazing, isn't it? An astounding passage of Scripture. Luke 11, and he said, Christ said unto them, When, not if when you pray. And it's amazing too, the disciple doesn't say, actually the word teaches how to pray. He said, teach us to pray. Not how to pray, but teach us to pray. And Christ said to them, when, not if, when you pray, say. Now, let me explain something a little further about prayer, which I'm sure we all understand and know, but let me reiterate that for our benefit. And listen to me closely. There is infinitely more to prayer than many people think. Listen to me closely. There's more, infinitely more to prayer than many people think. It consists much more of simply asking for things. For most people, that's all prayer is, basically, for them. Asking God for things. Prayer is much more than that. And if we don't grasp that, we'll never know the enjoyments of true prayer. It's much more than simply asking. Why do you think give us day by day our bread is down in the middle of his instructions? After we've sought the glory of God and his will be done in heaven as it is on earth. 
There's much more, infinitely much more to prayer than simply asking. We meet on Saturdays to pray, not simply to pray and ask God for things. It's a form of worship of the highest sort. But to listen to some over the years in prayer meetings that I've been to, man would think that it's simply a shopping list. I've got my list of prayers and I'll make sure that I hit every one of those things and boom, that's what prayer consists of. No, there's much more than that. If your prayer does not consist basically, mainly, primarily of worship, we're not praying. Because if you think about it, <clears throat> the give us day by day our daily bread is really simplistic. It's simply, Lord, just give us our daily needs. And then he moves on. <laughs> and forgive us our sins. It's like the temporal things are, those are hard for God. That's okay. Give us our day, our daily bread. Luke chapter 18, in that verse we talked about, or you talked about last week, about shall the Son of God find faith on the earth. It's inconsistent with Luke 18, what says men ought always to pray and not faint. It has to do with prayer. So thank you for bringing that up to my mind. It had to do with prayer. Look at the passage. Luke 18. Luke 18, 1, the Lord said, with consistent praying, we will not faint. Men ought always to pray and not faint. Now, if all I'm doing is merely asking God for things, how's that stopping me from fainting? No. When we pray, when we pray as we ought, when we pray as Christ instructs us, as Scripture instructs us, we're praying that we might not faint. We might not grow weak and weary in our Christian life. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We faint not. So prayer keeps us from fainting. You know how often we're tempted, we're prone to faint? I'm telling you, beloved, when we get into prayer and we start like the psalmist so often does, wrestles with his, un, with his unbelief. Read Psalms. David wrestled a lot, many times with his unbelief. Why are that cast down? But many other places. And he wrestled, so to say, with his unbelief until he came out and realized it's God. Be patient. Wait on God. Be of good courage. Keeps us from fainting. Prayer also keeps us in our hearts from anxiety. Be careful, anxious for nothing. Be careful for nothing, Paul said. When you're anxious, don't be anxious. Well, how can I not be anxious? Fear, anxiety is something that is embedded into our human nature, and so often we have trouble controlling it. How do we control that? Prayer. The power of prayer. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God, and then the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. How do we overcome anxiety and fear? By prayer. By prayer. Oh, here's another good thing about prayer. When James says, Consider it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing that the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have her perfect work, that you may entire wanting nothing, if any man lack wisdom. 
concerning the trials. Let him ask of God, who giveth liberally and abradeth not, but let him ask in faith. Nothing wavering for a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Prayer is what helps us get wisdom concerning our trial. We pray for wisdom. So you see, prayer is infinitely more than simply asking for things. It has a divine work upon the heart of the believer. You know, Paul says part of the armor that Christians have is praying always and with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for the saints. I'm going to read that again because that's an amazing text. Always and with all prayers and supplication in the Spirit, watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for the saints. You see how diligent we should be praying for each other? Watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication. Always, with all prayer. That's why I encouraged you a few weeks ago. If we really, truly, truly understand the power of prayer, and we say that so many times flippantly, not thinking about it, but if we truly understood the power of prayer and the power of intercessory prayer, beloved, share your burdens and your heartaches and your sorrows and your needs with others. Let Christians help you in this exercise of prayer. Because God is divinely ordained that such intercessory prayer should work for us. One reason why so many churches are over, divided over schisms and divisions is because there's no unity and there's no unity because they don't know how it is to pray for one another. When you invest your time and your sweat and your heart and your love and your desire in prayer for one another, you become greatly invested in that individual. Christians aren't praying, as Paul said. It's part of the army. Christians aren't praying for one another, as they are. The most important, dearly beloved, true prayer, and the Lord emphasizes this, and we'll get into it next week, but true prayer is fellowshipping in communion with God. That's what it is. Why do you think the Lord spent all night in prayer? Why do you think He prayers here? Why would the Son want to pray? He has no sins to be forgiven. Why would the Son of God want to pray? He has no sins to be forgiven. He has no needs, actually. Why would the Son of God choose to be much in prayer as He walked amongst men? Communion and fellowship with the Father. John 17 is merely our Lord expressing His desire for His own. But I guarantee you, when our Lord prayed as He walked amongst men, there was a fellowship and communion with the Father in such a manner. Uh, read Proverbs, how He delighted in His presence from eternity. He's His most beloved Son. What do they fellowship? What do they? What do they talk about? Too much for this finite mind of my own. But it was intimate fellowship and communion. Which enables us to know and obey His sovereign will, not only in heaven, but upon earth. Submitting everything to His will. Our Father, 
which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy will be done in heaven as it is on earth. There it is. There's the foundation. That's how the Lord begins it. But Lord, I need now our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed, holy be your name. Thy will be done. Oh, immediately, all my trials and afflictions are caught up in the will of God. Do you know there's nothing that happens without the will of God? Do you believe in the sovereignty of God? Then we must believe that everything that happens to us, everything that happens to us is either known, ordained, decreed, or allowed by the sovereign will of God. There's nothing that he does not know. There's nothing he's not aware of. And by acknowledging that in prayer, the Holy Spirit works that assurance in our hearts to where we find ourselves submitting to God in all things. That's why it's important to pray. And it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, Luke 11, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. Let me close with this. This verse declares unto us that we need to learn to pray. You say, preacher... When do we graduate? <laughs> Never. Yes. I'm afflicted. Teach me to pray. I'm burdened. Teach me to pray. I'm confused. Teach me to pray. I'm afraid. Teach me to pray. My brother ails. My sister ails. Teach me to pray for them. Mm-hmm. And Lord, not simply just utter words, but Lord, I pray from the bottom of my heart. When the Bible says bear one another burdens, it's not simply doing it literally or in words. Bear their burdens. How can I possibly bear my brothers and sisters' burdens if I do not pray for them? Prayer is what enables me to bear that burden. And it's not simply, oh, bless sister so-and-so and give her grace. And Lord, we just pray that you help her make it through the day. Lord, I want to bear that. I want to know that. I want to be able to suffer with them, with her, with him. I want to be able to know something of that. Help me to bear in some way the burden that my brother and sister is bearing that I too might be touched by that. I can no way be touched by it like you, but Lord, help me that I might know something of it so that I might pray for them. When our Lord interceded on our behalf in the Garden of Gethsemane, He prayed until His sweat were like blood drops. We could never intercede as much or as well as Christ does. But God give us grace to imitate Him as best as we can. When a brother is cast down, let us pray. When they're burdened, let us pray. Such, dearly beloved, is what creates unity amongst the believers. Bear ye one another's burdens and thereby fulfilling the law of Christ. Let every man not seek his own, but the well-being of another. Let each esteem others better than themselves. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. And he said unto them, when you pray, say, Our Father, which art in heaven. That's, by God's grace, is where we're going to begin next week. And I know there are many 
many pastors, many preachers before me, and even maybe today, they could preach probably much better upon this passage of Scripture and probably has. There's some good works on this prayer. But by God's grace, we'll do what we can to preach it. And hopefully, God will give us grace as we go through each and every petition. And may He give us grace to pray. Because I'm telling you, every prayer, every prayer should have an element of what our Lord teaches us to pray here. Every prayer. That's what our, our Lord's not saying just this prayer. Even in Matthew, he says, after this manner. He doesn't say, you have to pray this distinct prayer. But he said, after this manner. And if our high priest, if the Son of God tells us, this is how we ought to pray, maybe we ought to pay heed to it and pay humble consideration to its words. Because I think in every element of prayer, we should find this. This should be our blueprint in prayer. Because it's the words of Christ. May God give us grace to learn more about this wonderful virtue, this gift, this blessing of God that we can pray, that we can pray to God. What a blessing it is to pray, to pray to God. May God give us grace. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we ask Thee that, Lord, You would help us as we begin to embark upon looking closer at these words that you spoke so many years ago. And Lord, I pray that, Lord, you guide us and direct us. The Spirit would be our teacher and our guide. And Lord, I pray that you would help us in this small church to be a people of prayer. Not simply praying and asking for things, but people of prayer. That we'd know what it is to approach the presence of God through Christ Jesus. That, Lord, we'd know what it is to intercede on behalf of others. Lord, I pray that you'd even help us on Sundays, Lord, when we take this time to pray for those that we know are in need. Lord, before we begin to worship and praise you, Lord, help, let it help us to be reminded there are people in great need and how important prayer is. Lord, I pray that you would, Lord, burden our hearts with this. Help us now, Lord God, as we go through this week. Let us consider this passage of Scripture in our homes. And Lord, I pray when we come back together next week that, Lord, you would guide us and direct us, Lord, into this truth. Lord, we love you and we thank you for all things. Lord, again, in closing, we ask you, as the disciples, teach us to pray. For we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.